Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today joining us for our weekly wrap-up is John uh, Bennett and Michael Zeldin. And we're going to jump right in because it's the day, well, to, it's it's a week before Christmas as we speak. And so lots of stuff going on. And number one, uh, stick around. We're going <laughs> to, as always, we got to stop, take a short commercial break, sell the podcast, and we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. And joining me from CQ Roll Call is John Bennett and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin is with me as we discuss this week's uh, uh, interesting news items. I'm interested in news this week as we start out. You cannot pass up, although I damn near did earlier when I was putting together the rundown, was uh, the, um, the wonderful action by our wonderful new owner of Twitter, Elon Musk. And... Um, I guess what I want to start out with, and Michael, you can look, I can speak to it, John can speak to it, but you're the federal prosecutor. You can speak to it probably better than both of us. This is not a First Amendment issue. He, he's kicking people off Twitter. He's making up rules as he goes along, but it is a private company. So it's not the government telling us we can't speak. It's an asshole with a lot of money. Maybe. Maybe. There you go. And the reason I say maybe is that private companies can become de facto government, um, sort of have the the imprimatur of the government, depending on different aspects of their business. So, for example, if you're a public utility, um, it's a private company, AT&T, you know, Potomac and Electric Power Company, all those public utilities, uh, railroads. Um, can still have constitutional obligations. You can't kick people off for race or sex or things like that. And it's not clear to me entirely that an argument can't be made that Twitter actually has constitutional obligations uh, because of um, the, the nature of its relationship with the government. But let's say, hypothetically, it is a private organization, then in theory, uh, he can do um, what he wants around First Amendment stuff, as long as it doesn't, I think, touch upon certain protected classes. I think even there, like we saw the case 
where a private bakery didn't want to bake cakes for LBGTQ weddings. That case is pending, went to the Supreme Court about what their obligation is. Um, churches and other places of worship not performing gay marriages. And uh, they're, you know, theoretically private organizations, they're not the government it is. And yet they have a government constitutional obligation in certain ways. So it's not clear not to me. Not anymore, not with a Respect to Marriage Act. That was, uh, to, I mean, that was one of the things that was carved out in that act that was signed by the president. If you're a private uh, uh, faith-based organization, you have to recognize a marriage, but you don't have to perform the marriage. Right. But what I'm saying here is, one, I don't exactly know the answer, but right. two, there are ways by which private companies can have essentially government-like obligations. And I don't know the answer to what Twitter is exactly. But Well, I think is- they would have to prove some government entanglement, yes, because like uh, you or, or they've received money or subsidies from the government, such as public utilities. What in and a fact that a public utility can cut your electricity off and kill you, you know, especially during the winter. So there's certain protections there. But in the act of speech, a private company, I, I, and I could be wrong. I honestly, you know, I, I'm like you. I don't know the, the full extent of what you would have to go or the obligations that it would take. But it would seem to me that, um, people who are griping about him cutting them off. There are other avenues for them to go to if they wish. Right. The the answer to your question before I confused everything by saying I don't know the answer is assuming hypothetically it is a private company, then what we've seen is that he is not the First Amendment freedom of speech advocate that he ordered to be. That's true. Which is, I'm okay with hate speech on my space as long as it's not directed at me and my private plane. (laughs) And and it sort of causes one to wonder whether or not there's a a real principle here that's First Amendment based, or there's a very thin-skinned billionaire um, (laughs) who is behaving... um, like a in child, a less than desirable way. And John, John's tapping his nose, John. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening here. I think Michael just nailed it. Um, okay, let me start out with a disclaimer. Okay, hate speech, hate speech racism, anti-Semitism, etc., is wrong in all instances and in all cases. It shouldn't be on Twitter. It shouldn't be. At your local supermarket, it shouldn't be in a high school football game. It, it shouldn't be in a soccer game. It shouldn't be anywhere. It's wrong. Okay? And 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 that should be policed on Twitter. Absolutely. Otherwise, why do we care so much? What <laughs> This is not a public space. Why do we act like this is the town square outside the courthouse where we're you know, this isn't, this is, a like you said, it's a private company. I was out last night with some friends, a very old friend of mine. He and I, we tell stories. You know, we had a couple beverages. We got a little loud. Uh-oh, uh-oh. The manager, the man, we were just laughing and telling stories. The, the, the manager was well within his rights or the owner well within his rights to ask us to leave last night. 
And 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 why do we care if a journalist gets suspended from Twitter? What are we doing? Why are we giving him so much attention? Why are we, we're giving him power that maybe he doesn't have to have or doesn't deserve? Um, and and yeah, this does. I've heard that like, said about Donald Trump. <laughs> right. It, it's the same thing. And um, he is messing with us. He is he is effing with us, and he's winning. Why are we letting him win? I just don't get it. What is Twitter? What what are we even doing? You know, I've said for years that, and this won't make me any friends in town, but that, <laughs> shit, that, that ship is sunk anyway. Um, it's a lot of times Twitter is DC journalists tweeting at other DC journalists. Well, so that is yeah. what is this thing, and why do we care so much about it? Have you ever gone on vacation? <laughs> left your phone in the room in the safe and not had Twitter or social media for three or four hours. It feels good. <laughs> it's the most righteous. It's one of the most righteous feelings you can have. So why do we care so much? I just, this is one that I just don't understand. I think he bought Twitter because he's bored and he could, and he, yeah. and he was, and he was upset that how he was tweeted, how he was treated. How he was tweeted. He right. He was tweeting. Yeah. <laughs> and and now you know he's he is the dog who caught the car yes and unfortunately he's gonna get run over by his own car i i'll i'll, I'll say i'll i'll uh mimic you a bit and saying yes certain speeches is should is wrong and should but the first amendment and i have to point this out in uh often to others and but both of you know free speech it also guarantees a certain amount of hate speech if you've ever seen the Blues Brothers, you know at the beginning, I hate Illinois Nazis, but they were able to they were able to uh, perform in public and announce what they want to announce because they won a court case. And I grew up with that in Kentucky when the KKK won a, a court battle and was able to march and they were able to speak. You can speak, you can stand up and say I hate all. You can't specifically say I hate John Bennett. Go kill him. Or I hate Michael Zeldin, go kill him. I can't walk into a crowded theater and go fire when there is none. There are limits to free speech, but a certain amount of hate speech is and um, has been determined to be a, a unavoidable and allowable by the First Amendment. So even that on, on Twitter, and I've had my fair share of people tell me all kinds of things about how they hate me, and I, I laugh at some of them and ignore the rest of them. I just think that the point being that we have a rich, thin-skinned little shit who's running Twitter, and why do I care? I don't know. I, I I just promote my articles on whatever social media platform I can, but that's just me. But John, you were gonna you were mentioning something at the break that would have made Twitter completely break down today. It's <laughs> <laughs> I was I was rooting for this uh, pretty hard. Michael uh, loved this. The, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, is uh, was at the uh, World Cup final today, and he's a huge, huge fan of his country's team. And he looked like someone shot his dog after the match. He was on the field for the medal and trophy presentations. And so I looked more disappointed about 12.55 Eastern Eastern time today when Argentina, the, the final penalty kick, and, and they, they pulled ahead by too much, and they won, they won the World Cup finally in the Messi era. But we were five minutes away from Fox being contractually obligated to go to NFL coverage. 
five minutes, Twitter would have melted down. The Twitter Roddy would have been so upset. The servers would have exploded. And I don't think Musk would have paid to rebuild the thing. And I was just praying that we made it to one o'clock Eastern. So here locally in the DC area, we would have gotten Philadelphia at Chicago at a frigid soldier field. And Fox would have had no choice but to put the last penalty kicks on FS1. And I think both U.S. coasts would have fallen into the ocean and Twitter would have exploded. And I was rooting for that. And that says that says a lot about me. And none that of says it a lot about you, brother. And none of it's positive. I guess not since was it was it was it the Jets game? Um, long ago where they cut away from the end of the game yep. to, yes. to go to other programming. Yeah. Oh. Heidi. They had to go to Heidi. ABC. Heidi, right. ABC went from the, I think it was the AFC title game, not the Super Bowl, but the AFC title game. Mm-hmm. And they cut away from, you know, the comeback at the last, you know, the last few minutes. <laughs> That's right. The Heidi game. They call it the Heidi yeah. game. Yeah. So we can watch Heidi. So can I just say one thing more about my ignorance about what is Twitter? I I remembered now that Donald Trump, when he was president, uh, used Twitter for various things, some of which was government and some of it. Ah, yes. He did make government announcements on Twitter. In fact, sometimes we would gather... Remember, Chun, we'd be there and go, holy shit, we didn't even know we have a briefing. It just came out all over Twitter. Right. So he then blocked people from his Twitter account and they sued. And the Second Circuit Court of Appeals said he could not do that. Right. That that, um, his use of Twitter uh, for government purposes made the First Amendment applicable and Therefore, when he blocked people, he violated their First Amendment rights. And so there's this doctrine called the public forum um, doctrine, which asks this question, is this a private show like yours, Brian, which isn't probably covered, or is it something different, like uh, a public town square, which then takes on the obligations of being a public entity in right. the first place. So all I'm saying to you is I still don't know the answer as I've been thinking about it these last five <laughs> minutes, but I'm not sure what Twitter is. And I'm not sure if anyone yet knows exactly what Twitter <laughs> is. Well, I guarantee the owner of Twitter doesn't know what Twitter is, if that helps. <laughs> let's, let's move on. The other thing I wanted to talk about in this first segment was the January 6th criminal referrals, and both of you can speak to this. And I, you know, they're they are talking about putting together a report. Uh, the last hearing, I believe, is tomorrow, Monday, and after which they will draft a report and or have already begun drafting a report, which they will present, which will refer um, the uh, uh, make referrals as to whether or not they should pursue uh, criminal uh, prosecutions against the president and others, and those saying that they, they may refer. I can see if Jamie Raskin is behind it, we're definitely going to get a criminal referral for, for Donald Trump to, to be prosecuted. But there has been much made about the fact that there is no need for a criminal referral, that the Department of Justice can pick this up of and by themselves. We've made much of that in the media. Uh, John, you had even at, you had, had spoken about that. You want to lead off with that one? Well, um, 
which uh, which aspect exactly? <laughs> well, do, you do we think, want to start well, with because there's so much there? There is a lot to unpack. Do we? Well, let me ask Michael then. Michael, do we need a referral to prosecute him? And is the media making too much of it? We do not need a referral to prosecute. DOJ can make its own charging decisions, and it will make its own charging decisions. And in fact. The grand jury that the DOJ has that's looking into this stuff has much more enforceable subpoena powers than the January 6th committee has. And they have already obtained orders from the district court judge overseeing the grand jury that executive privilege does not apply and that therefore they've been getting uh, testimony from White House counsel Cipollone and, and others. Um, and so they have the ability to get all the evidence that they need all by themselves. That said, the uh, January 6th committee has been at this a long time, longer than DOJ, it seems. They've deposed many, many people. And I would think that the DOJ would want to see their evidence and their assessment of the evidence. So I think it would be probative of what the DOJ may decide to do, but not dispositive. And so the answer is it, it is not necessary for the DOJ, but may be relevant and informing of their decision-making, but not dispositive of it. And though, as to the media's uh, coverage of it, I think that there's a point that Adam Kinzinger made the other day, which is in part, this referral and their report is for the historical record and that that it's an important document for there to be in the public square that our um, children and their children can read and understand what happened. And so I think they're not making too much of it from a standpoint of it has a, an important public policy component to it. I agree with that. But John, I think one of the things that you and I've talked about is that we seem to be putting an awful lot of weight on uh, on the need for a referral without understanding exactly what the law is. <laughs> yes? Yeah, sorry about that. I think I had my first senior moment back there. Um, <laughs> hey, well, the I've first noticed, of many, my brother. <laughs> I've noticed a shift the last few days. And, and now you have media folks um, saying that that the referral doesn't matter at all. Um, we, we we haven't been very good on this, frankly, in covering it and explaining it to folks. I think it does matter if there's a criminal referral from from the committee. Um, this is this is not you know Donald Trump didn't steal a pack of gum from the Seven Eleven. You know, well the, he the, may have, but that'd be the least of his crimes. <laughs> he would have to go into Seven Eleven first, and I have yes. my doubts. I have my doubts. He had a lot of you steal it for him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but, but it does, does matter because what, because of what the committee and possibly DOJ is alleging that Trump did, he, he, he incited an insurrection. He tried to stop the count of the state's electoral college results. He tried to stay in power, which is unconstitutional. It's illegal. So the charges here make it important that the committee sends the recommendation over. So Yes, it doesn't trigger charges. You know, the the media now is is kind of covering this like, well, it doesn't matter 
if they make the referral Wednesday or not, because Trump isn't going to be cuffed and stuffed Wednesday night. It, it's okay if he's not, folks, and and it does I'm matter. Predicting is, January six for the indictment, but that's just me. <laughs> interesting idea there, but this is this this is important. This is unprecedented. This is he was the president of the United States. He was the leader of the free world, and and what they're what they're alleging he did. This needs to happen. This is part of a process that is playing out. Um, and and just because again, you're not going to get footage of of Trump being cuffed and stuffed outside the third tee. Uh, down in Florida, Although, we love the term yeah. "cuffed and stuffed," particularly outside the third tee. But go ahead. Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, so so it matters. It matters a lot, and 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 we need to do a better job of covering this. I think. I I think we've covered it fairly ineffectively, and I think both of you are saying, in essence, the same thing. It it's not necessary to proceed, but it is necessary for the historic record, and I think it's very important. Absolutely. That the uh, that Congress makes no doubt about where they stand with a, a president who incited an insurrection is a traitor to the country and deserves to be cuffed and stuffed. And I'm still predicting January six for that. <laughs> but, but, but we'll see. Hey, well, it, it, anything can happen, and it usually does. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, the other fun thing on our on our radar this week is uh, the wonderful machinations of what's going on in Congress with Kevin McCarthy. As is he going to be the new speaker? Will he? Won't he? Mm. Is it Barbie? Is it not? Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everybody. Uh, happy Hanukkah. This week is Hanukkah. Begin at sundown on Sunday. And uh, so if you're celebrating, whatever you're celebrating, I hope you have a great one. We're here talking uh, about the news of the week and how we covered it in the press. Up next is is one of my one of my favorite guys in Congress, because if you don't like what he thinks, just wait five seconds. He'll change his mind. Uh, his name is Kevin McCarthy, and the idea is that will he or won't he be the Speaker of the House, and will what will we see if he is? And I'm I'm predicting chaos because he's going to have to bow down to the to the extreme as if there is a moderate right, uh, the extreme uh, right, his party, uh, which you know is represented by Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Louis Gohmert, and Matt Gates, and a bunch of other miscreants. Um, in order to be the speaker, he's going to have to kowtow to some of what they want. So, John, I I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite so hilariously dysfunctional as uh, the Republicans trying to pick a speaker of the House this time around. Sure, yeah. it, was, it, it was chaotic last time around, and and again, that was Kevin McCarthy 
yeah. uh, was was supposed to be the guy to take over for John Boehner when he got fed up with the far right fact, faction, the, the Freedom Caucus types, and uh, they got Paul Ryan. He was the the consensus uh, the consensus replacement for McCarthy. Um, McCarthy right now does not have the votes. Uh, the the you know he needs he needs uh, to get to that magic number, and he's not there yet. He's got to get to two eighteen. He's not there yet. He's he's at least five short. Uh, my colleague at CQ Roll Call, Lindsey McPherson, reported this week um, that there are five conservatives holding out right now on the record, and they claim to have more members, and they say they're going to vote as a block, and they're only going to get bigger. So if you've got eight, 10, 12 conservatives right now who are going to vote you know, for another candidate or just won't vote for McCarthy, he's got a big problem. And he's got till January 3rd, and everybody's about to get distracted with family, uh, family and friends and holiday. Yeah, gone. I mean, right. And Congress is out. Right. And they've got to spend this week uh, trying to pass a massive end of the year bill uh, before Friday night. So that's going to take up a lot of attention and time. So there's not a lot of time here for him to, to get to that magic number and convince these conservatives to back him as speaker. And, um, you know, I, he's going to have to make even more concessions. Um, one one item that apparently is back on the table is the motion to vacate the chair or the gavel, which means that makes it easier for a group of of any law, any group of lawmakers to get together and and try to oust the speaker. Uh, obviously, McCarthy or any speaker doesn't want that rule reinstated. Why would you? Um, but he's holding out on that. That and other things, other rule changes within the GOP caucus, um, they want some some more changes. Uh, they want some greater scrutiny on federal spending uh, and, and various things. And so far, he has made some concessions, but he hasn't gone as far as they want. Um, and I'm I'm starting to wonder. Lindsay's story really made me uh, wonder uh, her really good reporting from from Capitol Hill. Um, if, if that group is bigger than 10 boy and if they're and they're going to vote together mccarthy's got a big problem yeah where do you see it ending steve scalise is standing right there <laughs> he's, he's the current uh he's the current minority whip and he's he's pretty much sewn up to be uh the majority leader right now uh, the democrats control the house and steny hoyer is the majority leader so scalise is slated to be the number two uh, uh, the number two House Republican in the majority come January 3rd. I don't know. Of, I know of only one other person who could get to 218 if McCarthy can't. And if Steve, Steve Scalise can't, and that is Donald John Trump. And yeah. wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Michael, you heard you're going to jump in when I jumped in with John. Go ahead. Does Scalise appease the Freedom Caucus in a way that McCarthy doesn't. I mean, McCarthy has bent over backwards since the day of January 6th when he first um, made a break with Trump. But then on January 7th, he seemed to realize that that was not in his personal political interest. And so the country be damned. Um, is Scalise more acceptable to them? Is there is there daylight John, between can, those two? You can. You can yeah, he, yeah, he seems to be. Um, now, whether well, here's whether the guy he who got could, shot and still comes out for the NRA. So, I mean, you talk about bent over backwards. That's, mm -hmm. But go ahead, John. My sense of this is they see him as more ideologically pure 
And that's really what this is about. When, when, as Brian said in, in the lead in to, to his question, um, that McCarthy changes his mind or changes his stance on issues, you know, it, that's, that's really what the, the freedom caucus and, 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 and these five to 10 or more holdouts that's, they see what we see. They, they see a guy who, who kind of shapeshifts, frankly, and they see that ambition being his driving core, not not conservative values, not those those hard, not hard line, but but just very conservative views. They see what we see. His ambition is what drives him, not what drives them and not what their constituents care most about. Scalise isn't really one of them, but he's more one of them than McCarthy is. Um, he says he's not counting votes for himself, uh, but he might want to start. The I question you have also, has. John, the, the, the other question I, I have, though, um, and maybe it's a silly question, but if a, if Scalise is, say, more ideologically pure, more acceptable to the Freedom Caucus. Um, I think you it, had it right the first time. They're quirky, but go ahead. Yeah, Is there um, a moderate block that says we don't want our party represented by that point of view because it's what caused us to lose elections in in 2020 and 2022 and it's the wrong face for us going forward and therefore we're not going to we're not going to vote for Scalise does so does Scalise lose a block of moderates who say that he's he's the wrong face for the party at yeah. this point in time it seems that uh, that he he would have a tough time stitching together a coalition because the moderates have backed McCarthy, um, and in 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 just in true Congress Washington form, the moderates last week were passing out buttons uh, with the I guess the acronym OK only Kevin Kevin McCarthy, but you know but the message just sent out was Kevin is hey eh, just okay we'll take Kevin as speaker <laughs> so you know just. Just another, you know, another great communications fail here in Washington. I don't think that's the message they quite wanted to uh, to put out there that McCarthy was just okay. But the moderates, you know, he's just okay, and Scalise, eh, maybe comes under. So that's the problem that they all have is is you got to put this coalition together to get to two eighteen. And right now, it doesn't look like any elected House Republican could get to two eighteen. But there is that fella down in Mar-a-Lago who could probably just intimidate his way into the speakership. Nobody's talking about that. It's not a job that that Donald Trump would enjoy. No, because that's a job. He would have to actually right. work. Right. And he could get away with not working as president. But to your right. point, John, the big thing is, is with moderates, one of the reasons why they have a problem is that moderates, by their very nature, are accommodating. So they will they will accept less than what they want to get a little bit of what they want. As you know, politics is the art of half a loaf. That's old style politics. The the ones from the Freedom Caucus, the, those who are zealots, are not bending. And if they vote in a block, you have to address them. If you cannot get to two eighteen, you don't have to address the moderates because you'll give them something of what they want, and they'll accept it. But the zealots will never accept anything less than what they want, so the minority can therefore drive the majority, and that's the problem they're facing. I think now in in the in uh, in Congress is that the minority is going to drive the majority. End of story. 
But what but, do I so, know? But so is there a third party? Because I think Donald Trump is not electable to be Speaker of the House. I just don't see that as 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 rational. But well, Michael, there... it's not rational. But I could see it happening, and he would last all of about a week before he said "fuck it" and gave it up. But... No, I, I I just think that the Republican Party understands the toxicity um, of that. But you know, what do I know? But assuming he's not a candidate for it, is there is there a third party? Is there a a coalition that could be put together that includes um, Democrats and Republicans? Is there a a person? We talked last week about um, Upton. Um, a retiring Republican uh, Congress member. You know, you've got the Liz Cheney's and 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 others who have lost their seats. Is is there a, a Democrat? I mean, Democrats only need five votes. Is there um, to vote to whoever it will be the next speaker? Is there a, a compromise candidate that the Democrats can get behind with uh, several uh, moderate Republicans? John, you want to field that? <laughs> I, I just don't see it. I mean, it sounds, yeah. you know, it, it sounds appealing uh, to those of us who probably, you know, I consider myself a political independent. And if I was in either party, I would be fairly moderate, I think. And, um, you know, I, I would probably be open to that, but I'm not an elected moderate of either party. So um, I, I just don't see, I don't, I don't, it, there, there's so much purity that has to happen, especially in the primary process that, you know, if, if you did that and, and you were a moderate Republican in a, a light red district or a purple district, um, you're probably going to get primaried and, and primaried pretty hard and, and with deep pockets and you're probably not going to going to be reelected. So and the same goes for any moderate Republican who went along with with something like that. Um you know, well, I think Trump, I think Trump would would do his best to primary those kind of folks too, and yeah, it's, that's, and that's the still what any effect. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, it on paper you could probably get there fairly quickly uh, if if folks had the if it was a secret ballot, you might get there quickly, but it's not. It's not, and and if case in point, what what you're really looking at, I think it's going to be really interesting when the vote comes and and how and how the machinations go on in backstage because. At the end of the day, if it isn't Kevin McCarthy, if it isn't Scalise, I, I I too don't think that it will be Donald Trump. But that's but then again, I wouldn't have picked him after he made fun of a, a handicapped reporter as being elected president. So you can never say no to anything that might happen with Donald Trump. But on this on this topic, and and John, I'll I'll, I'll lean to you on this as well. McCarthy and McConnell kind of split on the omnibus spending bill, omnibus spending, not the ominous, the omnibus, omnibus <laughs> spending bill. That was Kareem called it an ominous spending bill in well, the, it, the other day. It's <laughs> only ominous for those who have to cover the process this week. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've done that. Um, you know, I'll help out with our coverage this week. Shout out to the CQ budget team. Uh, they've got some long hours ahead and they do a great job and and others at other publications but uh it is ominous for them yeah so do you think kevin mccarthy and mitch mcconnell's break on this particular issue is a uh, is a factor or is part of uh the of the uh 
politics being played to get McCarthy the speakership. It was interesting this week that uh, McConnell World um, kind of gave McCarthy a pass. Uh, the John Thunes of the world uh -huh. and others said, and John Cornyn, uh, Republican senator from Texas, former uh, former whip, which Thune is now the the whip, um, and they're close to McConnell. Those are those are their friends and colleagues. And and they said they just kind of shrugged it off when our colleagues asked and said, you know, Kevin is trying to be the speaker. Of course, he has to say those kinds of things, uh, given you know where that caucus is uh, across the Capitol. I thought that was very telling. Uh, McConnell not really taking the bait here, and and he doesn't take the bait a lot. He he plays these things fairly cool. And that's allowed him to, to stay in power as long as he has. I think it, it's really helped. And McConnell knows the score. He knows what, what McCarthy's up against um, with the conservatives over there in the House. But Mitch, Mitch, and you know this, Brian, better than, than I do even. <laughs> Mitch does have a line. And if this continues uh, over the year, if, if McC McCarthy is the speaker, McConnell's going to be the, the Senate Republican leader. You know, if, if this continues, then uh, Mitch is going to, as the kids say, crack back or clap back. I don't even know the term. I'm getting so old. Uh, he's going to clap back eventually. He's spank his little ass. That's what he's going to do. I don't know about that. But <laughs> when Mitch decides to come at you, he doesn't hold back. And, you know, that could that could be yet another problem for McCarthy, who, if he is speaker, is I don't see him having a fun two years and then to have you know to feel the need to attack mitch mcconnell especially on big issues um and then have to have mitch mcconnell and mcconnell world coming at you. you've got the conservatives coming at you the moderates are always going to be pissed off about something this is this is the definition of hurting cats very angry cats yeah and uh you know you have to you have to give it to one of the reasons why people were so uh, admiring of Pelosi was that, and, and, you know, Sam, they're saying she's the greatest speaker of the house and Sam Rayburn. I don't know about that. Um, but you know, there, there were others that were the gentleman from, uh, um, uh, from Massachusetts, who was the speaker for many years did the same thing. It's that you've got to walk a fine, fine line, uh, in order to get, uh, to herd those cats. And I think what we're seeing is, I don't think even if McCarthy, uh, if Kevin McCarthy gets it, I don't think he has it. I don't think he has the ability to walk that fine line to herd those cats. So I'm thinking it's going to be a real shit show in Congress for the next two years with Hunter Biden's laptop being at the top. The only thing that the Republicans will agree upon. Well, let me not to not to to filibuster here, but you know, getting the speakership is one thing. Holding it for McCarthy yep. will be maybe an even bigger fight and a constant fight every day it's you know the old saying you know you push the rock uh four feet up the hill one day and then you, you get, yeah and, and then it, it slides back down five feet um he's gonna feel a lot like that and you know it, that may be it come january 3rd you know speaker of the house it, it's gonna be one of the roughest jobs in washington so can i ask a question before um, we move away from this subject which is how prepared is the new Democratic leadership team to take advantage of this? I have a sense, of course, that if Nancy Pelosi were still in charge of the Democrats, she would be able to take whatever advantage could be gained 
by this um, internal conflicts within the GOP. How, are you specifically how do asking about uh, Democratic leadership in the House? Yes, in, yes. In the I'm House. In, in, in the House, you know, because I, I, I guess I'll rephrase the question. Were Nancy Pelosi still in charge of the Democrats? I have every confidence that she would be able to capitalize politically on this dysfunction within the GOP, irrespective of who it is that is named speaker. And I guess what I'm asking you more savvy political observers is, how do you think the new team, um, Jeffers and, and company, are um, prepared to uh, uh, deal with this, what could be a very interesting political opportunity? I don't you know, think sort of like on the on sort of like on the cusp of what we saw <clears throat> with respect to uh, Newt Gingrich before he was. Um, <laughs> well, I don't think they have the experience. I think that they'll have to gain garner it quickly. And I think that they'll lean heavily on Nancy Pelosi for advice. But I don't think they would absolutely don't think they'll be able to handle it as well as Pelosi. But I think that she's sitting right there. And I don't think that she she's not leaving congress so i think they'll avail if they're smart they'll avail themselves of her knowledge but it's going to be them having to build their own road work john yeah she's not going anywhere uh, at least not at first uh neither is um congressman clyburn uh, they have carved out a new leadership role he's um he's going to he's going to be there too and steny hoyer he's stepping down from leadership and he's going to be around though he's he's not leaving the house so um the gray beards as they call them will still be there to give advice. Uh, Jeffries is very media savvy. He's, yes. uh, he's, he's, he's pretty good on television. He was on, uh, I believe last Sunday on uh, at least one of the political shows on, on Sunday morning. And I thought he was very good. I thought he was very effective. He, he took, he took numerous jabs at Republicans and I thought he landed them, uh, you know, well-polished uh, attack lines. And so I think the instinct is there. They're going to make mistakes. The new leadership team, they just are every, Every every leadership team does. They'll have to cut their teeth. the 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 long the this is a, a long way to give a short answer. We just don't know yet. This is kind of like um, the longtime head coach retired, and he's flipping the keys to the special teams coach who's never been a head coach. Uh, so we don't know yet, but we're going to find out uh, pretty soon. We'll see how Jeffries manages the floor uh, with his Democrats. Just what we were just talking about. Uh, during the speaker vote that that'll be our first uh, indication yeah i think by i think you'll have a good indication by the time they take their spring break as to mm -hmm. where it's going to go and and how difficult it will be because there's going to be some challenges at the very beginning when they come back and after the new congress is sworn in and within that first 90 days i think you'll get a good feeling of where it's headed for the next year or year or two and um Count the number of times you hear about Hunter Biden's laptop, and that'll give you an idea where the GOP is going to go. So uh, we're going to take another short break, and then when we come back, well, we'll have a little bit of fun. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. 
with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karaman. As usual, you know, we we can't get out of a Sunday show without without a couple of things. And uh, I know part of it is going to have to revolve around the World Cup and the surprise there. But I'm going to go. I, my, my sports thing this week was watching and, and I'll 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 just be blunt about it. Kirk Cousins had a hell of a comeback for the Minnesota Vikings down 33 points won the daggone ball game. And what I really think is funny was watching the reaction of some of the mem- of some of the fans, the Washington commander, former Washington Redskin fans, who at one point in time screamed so vehemently that they should get rid of Kirk, now wishing they had him back. So I I just lay that out there. 33 to nothing, you come back, you win the ball game. Everybody that hated you wanted you back again. John, you didn't even get to see it, you poor bastard. <laughs> I had uh, I had I was adulting and uh I missed That's only allowed once a week, sir. <laughs> hey now. Hey now. I uh, I did have some friends of mine were uh, a friends uh, text group text that I'm on. Uh they were providing somewhat of a play-by-play. Um but but that dried up in the second half and I opened my my phone app to to check scores, the one I used to check scores and I was very surprised to see that that Minnesota pulled that comeback. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins can do that this time of year, uh, but when the lights get brighter and the pressure mounts in the playoffs, he hasn't been able to do that. And the Vikings haven't played well. I mean, up until halftime yesterday, despite their really strong start, crap beat out of them. <laughs> yeah, and they've won a lot of close games, so they they look to be fool's gold as as we're wondering who's for real and and who's not. Uh, heading into the playoffs but still a thrilling comeback i know some vikings fans long suffering vikings fans and i was happy for them uh, when i did see the score yeah I'm so gonna may, score. May, sorry go ahead, go ahead, may, may i ask a question um matt ryan the quarterback for atlanta in the super bowl loss to tom brady was it the greatest fail in in Super Bowl history, it was a Super Bowl history where they were down twenty seven nothing mm-hmm. at at halftime, and his team lost. And now here he is. So he holds that record in the playoffs, and now he holds this record in the regular <laughs> season. Am I right about that? You are yeah. right about that, Matty Ice. They call yeah, him Matty uh, Ice. Well, look, I as far as it go, I I think. You know, to your point, John, about not being able to win the big game, I, you know, who I think is, is, is given a lot of credit for winning the big game, but he only won one. And, and I think he's chokes under pressure more than anybody is Aaron Rodgers. I think he's a, a, a pipsqueak of a man who's not that great of a quarterback, but it has gotten all the, the accolades, but I really don't think deserves them. But I, I give Kirk Cousins his, cause he's had to put up with people saying nay against him since the, first time he walked in and put his hands under center but um and, and as far as the the greatest fail in nfl history this is why i'm kind of cheering for the vikings this year is no team i don't except maybe the bills 
um, or yeah, maybe the uh, maybe the Bills, but no team has failed in the Super Bowl more spectacularly than the Minnesota Vikings. I think they've gone four times and have never won. So it'd kind of be nice to see them go. And, and one other thing about Kirk Cousins, uh, DC fans, D, yeah, DC and DC fans should appreciate Kirk Cousins because of the way he played Dan Snyder and the then Redskins. Uh, they kept, you know, slapping the franchise tag on him, and 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 he played that and maneuvered that. He and his agent, and he he got so much money here, and then got himself out of here to a much better, more professional uh, football organization in Minnesota. And he he took every penny of Dan Snyder's money, and they played that, according to sports experts that that I've listened to for for a lot of years, smart guys and gals. Um, so it, few people have successfully stood up to Dan Snyder, uh, but Cousins did it. Cousins played yeah. it. And, you know, I remember covering some of those games too. Decent guy. Just a really, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. really basically decent guy. He would drive up. I believe he had an old pickup truck, you know, just drove up to the, you know, to, to, to the game in a, in a freaking pickup. Just this down-to-earth <laughs> guy. A yeah. Sweet kid. You know, remind me a couple of kids I coached in high school, and I just wish the best for him. But. The other Fuck. big sports story of the week, which we just got done watching, <clears throat> was the 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 meltdown of, of France <laughs> and Argentina winning. And we talked a little bit about that at the beginning. But Michael, yeah, you're the former player, brother. Well, let me just Old court. let me just take issue with your description. This was not a meltdown. Okay. By France. This this was I'm saying that for the wonderful, for Macron, just to torture him a bit. <laughs> this was uh, a Super Bowl, uh, a Super Bowl of, of World Cups. I mean, it, it was as good a game as the World Cup finals has had. Argentina going up to nothing, France equalizing it, then Argentina going up in overtime and France equalizing it, and then uh, penalty shootout with each of the stars of France and Argentina respectively scoring multiple goals. I think three for Messi and Mbappe had four. So this was really a wonderful game of um, soccer. And so both teams can hold their head high. They fought uh, val valiant, val I don't know how to say that word, valiant, <laughs> valiant. valiantly. Yeah. Um, valiant effort there. It was an ominous omnibus. Right. Omnibus Bill fought valiantly <laughs> for a, for 120 minutes. I, I saw a statistic the other day. They were tracking mileage ran or run by a player in one of these overtime games. Ten miles is what Ooh. what they what they ran in the course of of that game. And so these guys, you know, hats off to both both teams. But I'm very happy for Lionel Messi who at age 35 was playing in his last World Cup game and who has not been able to get the monkey off his back of being the greatest player in the world, but yet not being able to deliver a World Cup um, for his nation like the great Maradona did for Argentina. So that monkey's off his back. He won the you know Most Valuable Player Award, if you will. His team won uh, the World Cup, which will now immortalize him and take all the naysayers away. Yeah, but he could, you know, it's like the Fran Tarkington of yes. uh, 
talking about Minnesota, you know, yeah. uh, a, a guy who deserved to win, but never had a team that could win. Um, so in this game, uh, I can't say the better team won. They were both great teams and um, Argentina just made four penalties and um, France made three. John? Even this uh, ugly American enjoyed the World Cup final. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't watch, yeah, I didn't watch the whole thing. And again, I was uh, rooting for um, for Fox to to cut away from the <laughs> the, the great spectacle. But I did enjoy it. I, it was you know high drama, the just crazy athleticism uh, by both sides. I thought all day. And um, yeah, I, I was happy that one, I just have happy to messy one. I, I think it was fitting yeah. that. That he goes out in World Cup, his World Cup career. Uh, he was the MVP and and kissed the kissed the World Cup and then got to hoist it with his teammates. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, so it's I, nice when good guys win. You know, yes, it is. Rarely happens. So here's my question, and Michael, I'll let you have the last word. Do you think they ought to change that? We saw him go to the penalty kicks uh, so often in this World Cup, and there's a lot of talk that that's just horrible way to end the game. Do you think that should be changed? Well, this World Cup had five games that ended in shootouts. Yeah. And that was the most they ever had. But five games over a month-long tournament that included many, many games, I don't think is 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 too many. And I think that after 120 minutes, it's you know, time for there be there to be a way uh, for the game to end. They they can't end it in a tie. Um and so they play um this very important aspect of the game, penalty shots, sort of like foul shots in basketball or points, uh, extra points in, in football, you know, things that sort of get taken for granted. Yeah. When, when a billion plus people are watching, it's not as easily uh, accomplished. So, you know, I think that it's, it's an okay way to end a game after 120 minutes. So my final question of the day, as we head into, Christmas, the Christmas season for all of us. Any Christmas wishes you want to share, John? Oh, my Christmas wish is just for all of us to get a break um, from the fire hose that is the news cycle uh, right now. <laughs> and everybody put their phones down and and uh, spend time with your friends and family. And uh, that's what really matters. That's at the end of the day, uh, what we're all we're all trying to do here. We're trying to pay the bills, but we're also uh, trying to make memories and, and have those, uh, those really strong relationships. So that's all. I just, I just want this new cycle to slow down so everybody can, um, can just enjoy a few days with their friends and family. Michael Hanukkah thoughts, <laughs> thoughts, holiday thoughts. Well, my thoughts are for people to find a little bit more grace in their lives that this black and white world in which we live really belies the true nature of human interaction, which is that there's much more in common among us than there is that which separates us. And if we could just find a little grace, uh, I think we'd all be better for it. And of course, on a geopolitical level, I hope that something positive happens to bring peace in Ukraine. I'll, I'll second all of those thoughts and say that, and end and with, with this thought, and that is that, um, I, I wish we were a little more kind, uh, a little more, I guess grace is a good word, but uh, a little more understanding 
of what it means <clears throat> when we say peace on earth and goodwill to all men. I, I actually wish that we we live that sentiment a little bit more each day. Of course, that would uh, mean that politics would have to become something a little more palatable, and that doesn't seem to be on the offing, but one can only hope and pray. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Once again, thanks for joining us. We'll have a special Christmas and uh, New Year's show for the next two weeks. We enjoy uh, everyone who listens to us, and thank you, and we wish you all a very happy and joyous season. Have a great one. We'll catch you next time.